Usually we do the whole build up to the dungeon and everything, but I've just got to come out and say it. Arbiter's Grounds is my favourite dungeon in the Legend of Zelda series. I don't think that's the hottest take by any stretch of the imagination either. Before I became a Zelda tuber myself, I saw a lot of people who thought very similarly. And yet another take that is pretty mild and would probably be accepted by a load of you watching is that Snow Peak Ruins is also in my top 3 dungeons of all time too. Today I want to talk at least a little bit about each of them. This retrospective series so far has basically been me talking through the game up until this point, and even all of the plot points one by one. I won't be doing that so much this video or really next because I truly just want to get into just talking about the dungeons. This part of Twilight Princess, this 5 or so hour section, is probably my favourite part of the entire series. Make sure to update yourself on the retrospective with the playlist in the top corner right now and make sure to subscribe because I have literally no clue when the next time I'll make one of these videos is with Tears of the Kingdom's release coming so soon now. We should probably start in chronological order even though I feel compelled to talk about Snowpeat Ruins first. So let's talk a little bit about Arbiter's Grounds and why I love this place so much. I feel like I get a pass for talking about stuff that I'd usually talk about this time. Atmosphere is possibly my number one necessity when it comes to a Zelda dungeon personally. Even outside of Twilight Princess, the game I think has the thickest atmosphere of all the titles in the series, a game like Ocarina of Time can create a dungeon that feels like it was almost crafted entirely for me. The atmosphere in the Shadow Temple is almost unrivaled, same for the Forest Temple too. It's the reason why Ocarina of Time might be the next game I do a retrospective series on in a year's time or a few years, whatever. Back to the point at hand though, Arbiter's Grounds doesn't have the best atmosphere in the series, but it's pretty far up there. This is mostly due to the backstory of this place, that you only learn right after the dungeon, but it still really hits hard after you first see it. It's one of the few places in the series where we actually get to see what took place before the events of the game, not counting Breath of the Wild. <laughs> This was the birthplace of the plot of Twilight Princess. This is the same location that Ganondorf would have been locked up for a while in before having his verdict ultimately be that he'd be banished to the Twilight Realm. And even though this cutscene is just after the dungeon, this cutscene still just goes so insanely hard. Ganondorf actually kills a sage while they try and lock him away, something we've never seen him canonically do in front of our eyes, cementing how much of a badass this incarnation of Ganondorf was or is if Tears of the Kingdom's Ganondorf is still somehow the same person, which is a topic for a completely different day in a few months. Not to mention, at this point in the game, it's at least supposed to be a secret that Ganondorf is going to be the big bad guy. So I think it gives some weight to how powerful Zant supposedly might be. Being able to overrun a once thriving prison and turning it into something more sinister. Something more like a prison for the good. I actually think this is a good segue into talking about Zant a little bit more. He's one of the few Zelda villains that you can really kind of get behind if you try and see his viewpoint. He just wants his realm to be treated fairly, he's just going about it in the wrong way. In that way, Zant is actually quite a lot similar to Ganondorf in Wind Waker, possibly the best incarnation of the big big bad. <laughs> I'll probably talk about him a little more at the end of the series, but I do enjoy him as a character. Plus, he was Girahim before Girahim was a thing. I can get behind that for sure. I actually think, and I don't think this is a hot take, that Zan is far more imposing than Girahim, but I guess that was kind of the vibe they were going for. Anyway, back to Arbiter's Grounds, the soundtrack has no ounce of hope in it. In fact, it's barely noticeable. And when you want something to be truly atmospheric in a 3D space, similarly to Breath of the Wild, you want the music to blend in with the environment just perfectly. 
or not at all. You can't be somewhere in the middle, you have to be all in on either side, and the soundtrack does this dungeon justice, I think. It's not a catchy tune or anything, just ambient sounds that blend together to make something that's almost just scary to listen to. That's fitting because this is probably the scariest place in the game. Even on the lead up to the grounds themselves, you're shot out of a cannon, with seemingly no way to get back to the only area in the map where you haven't been yet, Gerudo Desert. You fight an entire Bacoblin camp and have another fight with the best mini-boss in the series, in my opinion. This place is scary because it's the unknown. As I've said before, I'm no expert when it comes to design. I'm nothing like my friend Captain Bergeson, so I won't do a comprehensive dive into what makes the dungeon itself perfect, because maybe it's not what it's cracked out to be in design. I don't know. But compared to most dungeons in the series, I just love the puzzles here. I'm usually not a fan of desert-like themes and stuff like that, but knowing the backstory of this place and that the Gerudo Desert is the birthplace of Ganondorf, it just excites me. It makes me want to keep exploring, to keep the hunt going. Plus, the spinner is probably my single favourite item in the game, even if it's criminally underused. Despite not being down for the theme of a desert usually, having that with a backstory that makes sense in the world of Twilight Princess was great. Plus, the enemies fit that theme perfectly along with the pose. Speaking of which, the enemy variety is great in Obter's Grounds, and that includes the boss, the next thing that we need to talk about. Star-Lord is my favourite boss in the series, as will probably come to the surprise of pretty much no one. Monkmas Kosher is the only other boss that even comes close to that same level in my opinion. Like I said before, the spinner is amazing, and I probably won't ever forgive the developers for its underuse in future dungeons and stuff, but the use of the spinner in the Star-Lord fight gives the fight a gravitas that I personally don't think many bosses in the entire series have. Plus, with the general theme of Twilight Princess being so much more epic in scale than most of the other Zelda games, it all fits together to make a boss fight where fighting a giant undead creature with a Beyblade is an amount of fun that cannot be understated, and in my opinion is one of the top three bosses in the series almost objectively. As much as I love this place, I don't have much else to say. I think it does a great job with its puzzles and is one of the most grounded areas in the entire game and probably, once again, I know I keep saying it, but the series. With puzzles being heavily linked to the prison setting and the ruins of that prison. It ends off with that great cutscene of Ganondorf, the first time in the game, hinting at his return later and where you'll be assembling the pieces of the Mirror of Twilight. Not to mention, this is when you'll realise you'll likely be going into the Twilight Realm at some point in the game. Something that got me very hyped for the end of the game the first time round. The theme is great, the boss is great, the puzzles are great, the item is great, the mini boss, Death Sword is fantastic, and might have one of the coolest backstories of a boss. I won't get into that today because I could talk about that for a while. It's highly regarded as one of the best dungeons in the series. What is there not to love? Apart from those rat enemies that you can only see in wolf form because good lord they are truly very annoying even if they do fit in with the ghost and the prison themes and stuff. Oh. Next we venture into my favourite area in Twilight Princess and probably the entire series in terms of atmosphere. Pure and simple. We head to the first area where we'll be taking our first piece of the Mirror of Twilight. We head over to Snow Peak Ruins. True story time. I just finished Snowpeak Ruins a few years ago. The memory of first completing this dungeon is still fairly fresh in the back of my mind, and I actually remember, very, very vividly, after completing this section of the game, I had dreams solely backed by the song that plays when you're trudging your way through this desolate snow wasteland. It's a track that elicits emotions that I think only the Forest Temple from Ocarina of Time can inflict. The track hammers it home that nobody is nearby. It's a very ambient track with little hints of the outside world peeking in whilst it plays, with small taps of an instrument being 
the bulk of the song. It's one of the most ambient tracks in the series in my opinion, and probably the most ambient tracks that were born before Breath of the Wild released. Linear Zelda games atmosphere hadn't been much better than they were in Snowpeak Ruins. Now that I'm somewhat done about talking about the atmosphere, I think it's a good time to move on to the puzzles themselves. In the series as a whole, I've never been big into the snow or ice themed dungeons, they've just never really done it for me, with the only exception being Snowhead in Majora's Mask in my opinion. I know a lot of people like all of the ice places in the series, especially in the 2D games, but I've never gelled with them quite as much as other people. That being said, Snowpeat Ruins created something that was more than I could have ever expected. Wandering through this mostly abandoned mansion with items more befitting of a castle lacing the walls both inside and out, and while I've never loved ice-based puzzles either, I think they also work great in Snowpeak, especially after acquiring the item of the dungeon, but we'll get onto that later. There are a couple of block puzzles that I can definitely admit can be tedious, but I'm also glad that they aren't the same sliding block puzzles that we've come to expect. The added element of the ice does keep the dungeon feeling unique up until the very end. This is probably the most linear of all the temples in the game, except for maybe the forest temple. The first half of this section has you wandering through the mansion, searching for ingredients for a soup that Yetta is making for Yetta, since she's feeling sick. It can be annoying going somewhere, then not getting the ingredient you needed, and repeating the process a few times, but it does build up to something that amasses by the end of the ruins. Speaking of, the run down to get to the ruins is amazing, sliding all the way down from the top of Snowpeak, and following Yetta on his way. Hylian seemed to be scared of the big bad creature that lives on top of the mountain, but in the end, the big bad is actually just a dude who has a wife and likes to slide. I don't know, in a game that's atmosphere can often be dishearteningly oppressive at times, I think it was great to see an expectation subversion like that for a minor character. It adds a certain charm. It's the reason why people also like the demon Batru Batrau in Skyward Sword. There are also some cannon puzzles within the dungeon, and I think that these are pretty cool. Though I think the best I've seen puzzles have been crafted with the ball and chain in mind. But again, before we talk about the item itself, what about that mini boss? Fighting what looks to have been a soldier of the supposed army of Snowpeak and beating them after a pretty tough fight, all things considered, is a thing of pure ecstasy and is one of my personal favourite mini bosses in the game, along with Death Sword. The ball and chain is also one of my favourite items in the game, and it's also underutilised down to how many places in Twilight Princess actually have ice scattered around. Uh, nevertheless, the weight you can actually feel on Link's shoulder when using this item is unrivaled, and you really do feel like you can do some damage with it, which is absolutely correct. You can do a ton of damage with it, especially if you're going to play through the Cave of Ordeals. Would never have gotten through that without this trusty beauty. Finally, we get to another scary scene for a first playthrough. Yetta turning into Blitzetta is pretty scary even though it's been hinted at that she's got an illness and isn't feeling like herself. There's something about the sort of twitching she has going on that just gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> Seeing that transformation the first time gave me a real big fright. Honestly, sad I can't have that same experience watching that cutscene again. The fight with Blitzetta itself is it's fine. I don't think it's amazing, but I do think it's really cool in scale and adds to how epic Twilight Princess is on the whole. Plus, any excuse to use the ball and chain is a very good excuse in my book. <laughs> then, a heartwarming scene between the Yetis takes place, and you just have to stand there and watch. God, makes my blood boil just thinking of all the happy couples. Ugh. But let's get back on track. <laughs> Link picks up his first loose piece of the Mirror of Twilight, and one of my favourites to pick up. I liked Twilight Princess up to this point, but this is when I started to love the game on my first playthrough, and that love has only grown over time. 
First being shot into Gerudo Desert and entering Arbiter's Grounds. First sliding down Snow Peak and entering Snow Peak Ruins. They will be two memories that don't soon go away. Those memories will likely stick with me forever. What did you think of these dungeons? Am I objectively correct for loving them or do you disagree in every sense? Let me know down in the comments and subscribe for more weekly content on the lead up to Tears of the Kingdom's release since every week up until the next trailer is now going to be themed around that game. And please do like this video if you enjoyed it. Thank you all to my amazing Patreon supporters and members with an extra special thank you to Sumji and Jared Whedon as usual. Thank you all so much for watching and I'll see you next week. Please do stay safe.